It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing investment and financial planning advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now at 919-860-9783 with your financial planning questions. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. Hello, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 30 years. Good evening, North Carolina. This is Linda Lewis welcoming you once again to Money Matters with the Lewis family. And this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And their daughter, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Welcome to the show and hope you're enjoying this lovely weather we're having. You know what I love? (laughs) It's top-down time. (laughs) Put the convertible top down. (laughs) Absolutely. It was perfect day for that. It really was. It really was. Well, tonight we want to invite you to call us with any financial question you've got. Of course, don't forget, not only investment questions, but financial planning questions and cash flow planning questions. Also, income tax planning questions, retirement planning questions, estate planning questions, anything that's on your mind about your own personal financial world. Call us tonight. The open lines at WPTF are 919 Eight six zero nine seven eight three. That's nine one nine eight six zero nine seven eight three. And of course, for a face to face appointment with us in our offices during the week, it's nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. Well, Doug, Deborah, what uh, what a week we have had! It really was. It was sort of an up and down week, and in the end, uh, Doug, I guess, give us a little recap on on how things sort of fleshed out at the end. Yeah, it just depends on which set of eyeglasses you looked at the week from. The markets this week varied from unchanged for the Dow Jones average to modest declines for the S&P 500 index. The Fed increased confidence in the economy, and that should bode well for company and stock prices. Other economic data this week offered some more reassurance. Car sales in March, they continued to track near historically high levels. Heavy-duty truck orders went up 42%. Energy, construction, transportation activity increased. And oil prices also rose above $52, closing at $52.24 a barrel. So for speculators... I would say the international events and political actions will give opportunities this coming week for making money. For long-term planners, the outlook is very positive with the proper asset allocation. Well, as you are listening to the show tonight and writing down your questions, another place to write in, we've been receiving uh, a fair amount, is at our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. And then, of course, for anyone who makes a new appointment, we have the pleasure, and we had two this past week, of giving away a choice of one of three books. 
Those would be either the wealthy barber or the middle class millionaire or simple wealth, inevitable wealth. Tax planning world, which is, of course, uh, on everyone's mind right now. Yeah, you know, during a presidential debate last year, you remember Hillary Clinton accused Donald Trump of paying zero in federal tax for at least a couple of years in the past. And I think a lot of people remember what our soon-to-be president at that time reported. He said, that makes me smart. So just how smart do you feel as you sit down right now to complete your own 2016 tax return? President Trump has promised tax cuts for everybody, but any changes will be for future years. For right now, trimming your tax tab is up to you, not the men and women in Washington who write the tax law. And you're stuck with the rules as they stand right now. So I guess we've got a couple of ideas that will help you burnish your reputation as a taxpayer but limit how much you owe. We've got a few ideas. Well, in regard to uh, capital gains, investors with taxable income up to $37,000 on a single return and $75,000 on a joint return get the smartest tax rate ever for their long-term capital gains. Yeah. Now, that means if you do it right, you pay zero tax. If you do it wrong, you messed up. Good point, Doug. But that's not exactly the same thing as saying tax-free capital gains. So you still have to, these gains still have to be reported on your tax return. And if you simply report your profits on your Form 1040, they will be taxed in your top tax bracket. Instead, you need to report your gains first on a Form 8949 and then carry them over to Schedule D. Figuring your tax bill on the Schedule D tax worksheet, which you'll find in the instructions for that form, will apply the 0% rate to qualifying profits. And then carry that over. You take that zero and bring it all the way over to the front page, and you pay zero if your combined federal tax uh, taxable income is less than 75300 So okay. that's the first big thing to remember as tax time is closing in. Do you have questions about your taxes? Call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Secondly, take advantage of a supercharged standard deduction. Yeah, taxpayers who are over 65 need to remember that they already get a supercharged standard deduction. For younger folks, the 2016 standard deduction is 6300 and for married couples, it's 12600 But at age 65, the no questions asked write-off goes up to 7850 for singles, 13850 for a couple if one spouse is 65 or older, and if you're both older, you get a $15,100 standard deduction. If the bonus figure beats the total of your itemized deductions, as it well might, since you might have paid off your mortgage, then you'll not only avoid the hassle of itemizing, you're going to save some money. Another smart tax move is in regard to the tax basis of inherited assets, because they have the value of the date of the death of the previous owner. So assume that last year you sold stock that Uncle John bought for a thousand, but was worth ten thousand when he died and left it to you. Yeah, you don't want to ever forget the step up in basis rules. This is big time free money for you if you do it right. 
Your tax basis is $10,000 on that stock, and you owe capital gains tax only on any sales proceeds above that level. The reason why. The tax on the 9000 that appre- that appreciation, while Uncle John was alive, it evaporated when he died. So if it was sold for less than 10000 for example, you could claim a tax savings capital loss. So this is a big deal. As of yet, the step-up in basis on inherited assets has not gone away or been changed. So use it this year. Another uh, tax savings might be in regard to Medicare premiums. Yeah, like other health insurance premiums, what you pay for Medicare counts as a deductible medical expense, yes. But such expenses are generally deductible for 2016 only to the extent that they exceed 7.5% of your adjusted gross income. It's actually 10% for taxpayers under age 65. But if you're self-employed, say you retired from your job as an employee and set up shop as a consultant or contract worker, then you're not inhibited by that 7.5% threshold. So don't mess up on that one. Fifthly, it's important to compute the tax bill on a widow's sale of home. Are you confused over the tax treatment of the sale of a home following the death of one spouse uh, who is a co-owner? All right, so let's take an example. First, you're asking yourself, does a widow get to take up to a half million dollars of home sale profits tax-free like would normally be the case, or is she limited to the $250,000 exclusion because she's now single? It depends. Assuming at least one spouse met the two out of five year ownership test and both spouses met the two out of five use test at the time that the spouse died, then yes, the survivor gets the half a million dollar exclusion. If more time has passed, the $250,000 limit kicks in. Remember, though, that the step-up in basis rule mentioned earlier would wipe out the tax on at least half of the profit that accrued up to the time of the first spouse's death. So those are some little tax tips for you. And, of course, we want to continue to remind you that if you happen to be self-employed and a very high-income owner, and you haven't done your taxes yet, and you don't have a SEP IRA, file for an extension because we can show you how to take as much as a $100,000 deduction off on your taxes by doing a self-employed SEP IRA. Very positive. Right. So lots of taxes on lots of people's minds. If this is your question tonight, give us a call. The lines are open for the next hour. The number is 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Robert, how can I help you? This is Doug Lewis with Money Matters. I'm expecting to get a large payment, 500000 or more. And I want to know where I could put it that would be liquid but safe. The 500000 is it coming, where is it coming from? I have sort of like an invention. In other words, it's a new product. Uh-huh. And I expect to sell it or manufacture it myself. But if I could sell it, I would if they met my terms. So the 500000 is not what we call qualified money. In other words, it's not coming from a pension or profit sharing or any non-tax source. That's correct. All right. So after you get it, first of all, you're going to have taxes. 
I'm not too worried about the taxes. I'm worried about what's left. Okay. When you say liquid, what is the purpose of it being liquid? Tell me a little bit about your goals. I have other projects that I'm working on. Right. And I want to make sure I can use some of my money until I find other money to make some of my other projects. How much money will you need? In other words, if you're looking for a parking place, that's one thing. If you're looking for a liquid investment, that's another thing. And they're two different things that have to be differentiated, Robert. It's very important to understand that. I would think I'd need a minimum of $100,000 per project. So one project at a time is the way I'm taking it. Well, if all you're looking for is just a parking place Mm -hmm. to park the money and you don't care about the money growing, you don't care about investing. Well, I care, but I mean, it's not as important as making more money. Well... The reason people invest is to make more money. So uh, I think we're not talking about the same thing. If I can say this. If you're looking for safe, liquid investments, I would recommend treasuries. I'd recommend bond funds. I'd recommend money market accounts. And if you're looking for safe, liquid investments for long-term growth, where you want to be able to get to it in event of emergency, not in the event that you not knowing that you just want to get to it, I'd look at your tax deferred annuities. Those are the areas that I'd look at. And they're all government backed. Well, they, they're backed by different things. Again, if you just want a parking place, nice safe place to park it, put it in the top drawer. You know, I mean that that's that's one way to look at it. If you just want a parking place, all the places that I mentioned to you are you're not going to lose any money on them, okay? But if you want to call me at my office, I can give you some more specific recommendations when I find out a little more of the numbers that you're working with, what you need to take out of it, because each of them have specific pros and cons. Treasuries have one pro and con, bond funds have another pro and con, and so forth. You, you see what I'm saying? Right. But uh, each of them has a, a different type of guarantee. Yeah. If you just want government guarantees, you want treasuries. Well, let me ask you this. If I do sell my idea, right? how long can I, should I just hold on to the check before I put it anywhere until I talk to someone like yourself? Yeah, I, 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 I think you definitely uh, want to talk to somebody first. I certainly do not want to put it in the bank uh, until I know that the bank is uh, safe. Yeah, well, as a matter of fact, I'd put it in one of the money market accounts while you're waiting. That's where I tell all of my clients who are waiting. And again, I can give you a list of the money market accounts that I like the best that are paying the highest. Because on those dollars, you are talking about a significant difference on the interest, even on a 30-day period. Right, right. Uh, And that's where the money market accounts will make a difference to you. Okay, thank you very much. Well, you're sure welcome. That number, if you want to call, is 872-7000. That's USA 7000 here in Raleigh. Do you have questions about your investments? Call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Well, Doug, Deborah, what's new in the world of cash flow planning? Well, there was an interesting article in the News and Observer, uh, six tips from someone who saved a million by age 30. So you know that caught our eye. The uh, author, uh, Janelle Mart had said that she had interviewed a man named Grant Sabatier. And a few years ago, after graduating from college, Grant was unemployed, broke, and living with his parents. So one day when he was hungry for a burrito after on an afternoon, he checked the balance and saw he only had like $2.5 in the bank. And at that point, that was the low point in his life. He made a goal of saving as much money as possible so that he could retire early if he wanted to. 
Yeah. Sabatier found a way at a marketing company to get a job and took on side jobs to make extra cash and managed to stash away as much as half of his paycheck. He reached his goal, believe it or not, of saving a million dollars by the time he was only 30 years old. And, of course, the article was really interesting. He, he gave some tips for boosting people's savings accounts based on what worked for him and the mistakes also that he's made along the way. It was very interesting. Sabatier quickly realized that the 50000 that he was earning at the marketing agency wasn't going to be enough for him to meet his savings goal. So he started multiple side jobs to bring in extra money. One of the most important habits Sabatier developed was to make his goal feel attainable. When he first decided to save more than a million for retirement, the number was so large it felt beyond reach. So he focused on the near term and calculated that he could meet that goal in about 30 years if he saved at least $50 a day and earned roughly 5% a year. And so, I really like yeah. that. Well, what he did is he quantified and made an attainable goal, <laughs> yeah. not just pie in the sky. Right. I, I'm going to win the lottery or something like that. He gave himself measurable results. Measurable results. So he started off investing just $150 a month, and that increased. And he increased his savings and investing over time. But because he wanted to reach his savings goal as soon as possible, he didn't just stop at that $150 a month. When he was able to, it went uh, as as high as all of his extra, or what we call at Lewis Financial Management, surplus cash. So he stashed away any extra money that he could if he had a bonus or he had extra income from his his side jobs. He just kept saving and saving. Really smart. Now, he says that he was only able to meet his goal because he invested the majority of his long-term savings in stock mutual funds, giving him a much higher return than he would have earned through a savings account. Yeah, you know, Sabatier's story is a reminder of how much money can be left on the table when people are too afraid to invest. So I think that was one of the important tips. So it's important to make it a habit of saving daily. And it's also important to invest the extra cash that you have, right? That's right. And as he earned more money and he reduced his living expenses, Sabatier moved from saving 15% of his pay to stashing away 25%. And eventually, he was saving even more than 40% of his paycheck. Beautiful, beautiful. The idea of saving so aggressively may feel intimidating to some people, but even boosting your savings rate by a small amount can make a big difference over time. Save $20 more a week than you did last week, or save 1% more in your 401k every six months. Right. It's the whole story of attainable goals again. And as he became more serious about meeting his goals, Sabatier did something else. He scaled back his monthly housing costs so that he could save even more. He moved from a really swanky apartment in Chicago that cost about 1500 a month to an apartment half the size that cost 800 a month. That's $700 more that went straight into his investment account. People should target the bills taking up the biggest share of their paychecks is his advice. Absolutely. 
And then he reflected that years of living frugally and finding ways to make extra cash had helped him meet his savings goal. But then last year, he made a costly mistake. He got comfortable. He took a look at his transactions and calculated that he had spent 200000 last year, more than twice as much as he had spent the year before. And it became easy to spot all the culprits of where he had spent that extra money. Yes, Sabatier knew that he could technically afford these things, but the lifestyle inflation that he was experiencing could threaten the financial independence that he'd been working so hard for. Just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should do it. So when we look at his whole story, we come to the question of what's the lesson to be learned? It really is to know your if you're if you want to accumulate enough to be financially independent, call Lewis Financial Management. Call me, Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner. Yeah, because comprehensive financial planning from a financial planner like Deborah or myself requires an interactive relationship with the client and the planner. First of all, we've got to understand what are the goals you're trying to achieve. And then our job is to keep you on track, to keep monitoring you to see, are you on track to achieve those goals? And that is what we do at Lewis Financial Management. This is called comprehensive financial planning. Call us at the office at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. You know, Doug, Deborah, that that definitely was a feel-good story, wasn't it? It really is, to hear someone succeed. Yes, because if you're young and, you know, you've got a lot of time on your side and it just takes discipline, it takes um, good habits and practicing good habits, and, you know, when you want measurable results, you need to meet with someone. You need to go through everything that is required so that you can know what your monthly recurring expenses are, what your monthly recurring income is. And that delta, that difference between those two will give you the real amount that's going to be available on a monthly basis to month after month be able to invest and to just commit that that is going to be the amount that I want to set aside for my future. Yeah, You know, what I like about his story is he's not afraid to put his story in the press. We have many (laughs) clients that we could tell the same story, but for confidentiality, we can't. They might tell it personally, but we can't mention it on the air. But we have many clients (laughs) in the last 30 years that did the same thing with our help, and we watched them accumulate their first million, their second million, just by having attainable goals and achievable results and monitoring the progress along the way with the monthly reports that we send to clients from Lewis Financial Management. Thank you for joining us on Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you've got a question, call us now on the open line at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Well, Doug, Deborah, a very interesting article as we've been talking about financial planning and comprehensive planning. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal that discussed what is the best fee structure that a person should pay a financial advisor. Yeah, I thought it was uh, interesting for a number of reasons. There were eight questions that were asked to these three people, 
But, you know, deciding what kind of financial advice to pay for and what fee structure is right for you can indeed be daunting. Investors today have more choices than ever before from expensive, highly tailored advice to more impersonal services that cost next to nothing. So what the Wall Street Journal did, they invited three people to discuss the issue. There was a professor of finance from University of California, Berkeley. There was a financial services council at the Consumer Federation of America. And there was a professor of entrepreneurial finance at MIT. Really interesting that they didn't ask a financial planner. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) That's like interviewing all of the people who support a doctor, but not asking the doctor what their uh, opinion is. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the eight questions were very good questions. Okay. So the first question was, how do investors pay for advice today? Well, one of the people answered, traditionally, you paid a broker commissions for buying and selling stocks. Many people now use what they call fee-only advisors who choose a percentage of assets under management, often with a scale. It could be 1.25% a year on a portfolio less than a million dollars. Many people charge about 1% on a million dollars. Now, I will tell you, that seems pretty steep, but I know there's a lot of people that do that. That is $10,000 a year on a million-dollar portfolio. But another one of the uh, people that was questioned answered by saying, investors can also pay by the hour or by engagement where the advisor provides a complete financial plan for a fixed fee, or people can pay a monthly retainer. Okay. Well, the second question that was asked is, is it always clear at the outset which fee model you're getting? Many financial professionals market themselves as advisors using titles like financial advisor or financial consultant. If you don't know what you want, you might be directed toward their brokerage platform, in which case you'd be paying for the transaction and not the advice, or the managed assets under management platform, which we think is paying too much. Yes, so I think I like that question because, no, it's not always clear at the outset what you're getting. It's up to you to know what you want and what you're getting. But either way, you could end up being directed by the brokerage firm to one of the two ways that could not be in your best interest. All right. Linda, what was another question that they asked these three experts in the field? Well, the third question is, um, is any one fee structure clearly in an investor's best interest? Well, every model can have conflicts of interest. Transaction-based professionals like stockbrokers, their firms may set sales quotas for them or offer bonuses or other awards for encouraging them to put their own interest ahead of the clients and recommend they go into things like uh, annuities or stocks and bonds paying more commissions, but something that is not in the best interest of the client. And that's because the firm is pushing them to meet those that's right. Incentives. Many times it's this is what we're selling this month, regardless of who yeah. it might be best for. The commission structure creates the incentive where the brokers would like to see their clients trade more often because they get paid on every kind of a trade. 
The fourth question that was asked is, what's the concern with paying a flat percentage of assets under management? Yeah, this is really the second half of the same question, actually, because this is what they call the fee-only advisor with the assets under management percentage basis. Well, the problem here is the fee-only advisor has what's called an interest in capturing assets. It's actually the lazy way to get paid for doing nothing. You collect the assets, put them in a managed account, and you're paid every quarter your fee and you don't have to do any work. You know, it's interesting how many folks out there get their statements and really don't pay attention to what the fees are that are being charged to their portfolio. That's right, Linda. Because it's absorbed in the whole report. (laughs) Unfortunately, many of the statements don't show it. Just at the end of the year, you might see it. You're right. So if you're out there listening, it's good to ask the question. All right. So the fifth question is, uh, for those who can't afford premium advice, why not opt out for a one-time fixed fee for such such things as a financial plan? Well, the biggest potential worry is that the advisor doesn't have much at stake in the future. He just produces a financial plan for you, charges you a flat fee, and that's the end of it. He's not with you further on. So that's the, uh, the negative to the flat fee. The negative to the asset under management fee is it is a way just to capture assets and not have the advisor do anything. And the disadvantage of the commission is you're pushed to go ahead and make more money for the broker. Question six. Hourly fees are very flexible. An investor gets the initial services and the ongoing help as needed. Well, the hourly planners charge anywhere between $200 to $400 an hour. If an advisor puts in a lot of hours, your bill could grow considerably. It's important for investors to ask how much work is going to go into the process if they're going to go on to an hourly arrangement. Now, what about EGADIM? Well, that's interesting because that's that process of what happens during the relationship. So we have been mentioning that over the last few months as something that, um, if you're a regular listener, you've heard us mention before. So the beginning of the relationship, which is the establishing of the relationship, that's where the relationship should begin. What is the advisor going to provide for you? And what is uh, the client expecting to be performed for them? So now we have an, an, uh, 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 an establishing Uh, a clear definition of what the relationship will entail. And I think that's the most important thing to be taken away from this article in the Wall Street Journal is make sure that you have established the relationship with the person you're dealing with. You know what you're going to be getting and you're satisfied uh, that that's what you're paying for. There were some other questions. One question was, do investors sometimes pay too much for advice? Well, If the market were to return 5% and you were paying an advisor 1% a year, that's like giving the advisor 20% of your returns. Some advisors charge you a lot for very simple transactions, such as putting you in an index fund. So, yes. If you've got a million dollars in assets under management and you're just in index funds, you're paying $10,000 a year for virtually nothing. And the answer to the question is, yeah, sometimes you're paying way too much, in my opinion. Well, Doug, Deborah, the the eighth question that was asked had to do with 
more people are are using largely automated services called uh, robo advisors. What do you think about robo advisors? Well, here we're at the other end. Instead of paying too much, now you might be paying too little. But the problem here is investors, even millennials, usually want a person to talk to. Robo-investing can amplify one of the really serious problems that people have with getting advice in general. And that is, if you don't know enough to be able to evaluate whether advice is good, then how do you figure out from whom to get the advice? And I would say the answer is, number one, choose a person who can prove to you he is a fiduciary by giving you a form ADV, which says that he is required by law to put your interest ahead of his own. Number two, choose a person who is a certified financial planner. That means he's got education or she's got education in all these areas. And thirdly, make sure that that person discloses everything to you about the the services, the fees you're going to be getting, and is going to be staying with you month by month, year by year for the length of, maybe for the length of your life. And if you have questions about your financial planning, call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Well, Doug, Deborah, we've been talking about cash flow planning as well as retirement planning. What's new in the world of estate planning? Well... In the world of estate planning is a document called the power of attorney, and this brings up a lot of questions because sometimes financial institutions won't accept the document, and you may not know what to do if that happens to you. For many people, there is no legal document that is more crucial than this power of attorney or one that is so full of potential pitfalls. A power of attorney is an inexpensive legal document that gives you a designated individual, the right to act on another's behalf when making financial decisions. See, it's typically used by adult children whose aging parents are no longer capable of acting on their own. The problem is, is that financial institutions don't always make it easy to exercise that power. So families need to take steps to avoid potential problems. Yeah, the most basic cover specific situations. For example, a father may give his daughter authority to act for him when selling the family home. That's called a durable power of attorney that allows them to take over a parent's finances at any point, which gives them the ability to help in the event the parent is no longer able to manage. But unfortunately, the power of attorney is often abused. And so as a result, banks worried about being held liable for customers' losses, have grown wary of accepting powers of attorney, prompting a greater number of states to adopt laws requiring them to do so under certain circumstances only. In a worst-case scenario, adult children may have little recourse but to take legal action against a financial institution or file with a court to become a parent's legal guardian. That's expensive and time-consuming and usually open to the public. But there are steps children can take to keep matters from getting to that point. Yeah, the child's first step is to find out what kind of power it is. A standard durable power of attorney gives the child the authority to act on the parent's behalf immediately. 
A springing power of attorney doesn't generally give the child that authority until the parent becomes incapacitated. It springs into effect only upon a certain uh, set of situations, and that can create complications for the adult children. Generally, uh, you have to, oh, it's terrible. Sometimes you have to go to court and prove that, that the parent parents is are incompetent and, and so forth. Yeah. And I mean, it loses. So spring, yeah, springing powers of attorney are not very uh, advantageous in my, in, in my opinion. Uh, but you also have the problem of the doctor. He may be unwilling to sign such a statement, so the court is going to go ahead and fight you on it. And all along, you need to be able to sign something. Right. So families can frequently prevent problems if they introduce a revocable living trust. That's exactly right, Linda. The revocable living trust is far, far superior to the power of attorney because there, no one can refuse to accept it. You do not have to prove anything because it replaces the power of attorney. It's far superior, obviously. Well, it's important, isn't it, to know the law? And what should people do if they're rebuffed by a financial institution when trying to use a power of attorney on behalf of a parent who is unable to get involved? Some financial institutions may ask you to take steps designated to reassure them that your power of attorney is legitimate. And, you know, in some cases, a medallion signature guarantee from a bank with a signature on file may be required or even a notarized affidavit stating that the document is valid. You know, Linda, before, I mean, I'm so happy that we don't run into that problem with our clients. You were saying before the show, you remember you were talking about multi-generational cases, Yes, yes, yes. We were discussing that earlier that, you know, it's been a delight in our practice um, as we've worked with our clients at various stages of life, you know, while they're working and accumulating. And then when they're going to retire and then they do retire. But then as they age, you know, things happen with health. Maybe dad has a stroke or mom has dementia and we start working with their children before. Well, These which, things happen. Yeah, and, and what you were pointing out was that because the parents had started working with us and we had created revocable living trusts and proper well, state documents, the children at this later stage, seeing what have what the benefit has been to their parents, they don't need to be convinced at all. They know exactly because they've lived through it. And they're protected. I was just going to add the the word recommended that revocable living trusts had been created. That's right. You know, as the financial planner, we don't we we can be the expert on the topic. And while we're not attorneys and don't write the documents, many times the family is so appreciative that our area of expertise extends to estate documents that are going to make your financial life lives so much easier should something happen. And doing that ahead of time is incorporating this this very useful document, the revocable living trust. Do you have questions about your estate documents? Call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Let's take another call, Doug. Hi, Charles. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Uh, Well, I have a question for you about the uh, Roth IRA and the 401k. All right. Um, 
uh, right now, uh, I'm, I make about 50000 a year. All right. Are you married or single, Charles? I'm married. you married? Uh, All right. My wife is a state employee, and she uh, contributes to the... Uh, How much is her income? Uh, about 40 40 and yours is 50 combined income of 90 okay. Right. Uh, now, I contribute about 4000 to my 401k through my employer. Right. And I was asking my accountant when I was doing my taxes if I should go ahead and go with the Roth IRA, and she said that apparently that I was ineligible because I was already we were already doing too much, and and that didn't make sense. Hmm. Well, uh, sometimes accountants don't know a whole bunch. <laughs> now I don't know the whole facts, and so I want to be very gentle here. And my wife always looks at me across the microphone and says, "Be easy now. Don't be too mean." But I will tell you this, uh, in some cases, when sitting in an office with my clients, I tell them exactly that, don't overfund your retirement plans. Don't let the tax tail wag the dog just to get the money in there. But in other cases, I think just the opposite. The Roth IRA happens to be one of those where I might say just the opposite because getting the money out of the Roth IRA has no taxable effect. Right. And your retirement plan participation is not a factor. It doesn't matter if you participate in a 401k or not. Okay. Okay. I, uh, I think that they there may is, have been... And, a, and, and, you're, and you're, your accountant may be a little confused. Uh, that sounds right. If your combined family income is 90000 a year, it doesn't matter whether you're retire, contributing to a retirement plan or not. Now, tell me a little bit about the rest of your investment world, though, and maybe I can see something else there. What do you? What have you accumulated so far, Charles? Okay, well, we have a home valued at. Roughly no, that's not an investment. Okay. Forget about that. Um, we have uh, about forty thousand in stocks. Forty thousand individual stocks. Right. Um, we have about ten thousand in mutual funds. Ten thousand in mutual funds. And that's essentially it. All right. And how old are you? Thirty. You're thirty. Well, that's not too bad at your age. That's very nice. And how about in the retirement plans? Um, the retirement plans, I think we've got about 10000 in each. All right. 10000 in each. And here's something that we've been doing that I'm not sure if it's, if it's a good idea or not. Uh, we've been in our home about five years, and each year, in addition to our regular payments, we're paying an additional $10,000 down. That's a no-no. Stop that one. Okay, explain. Yeah, you're too young to worry about quickly paying off your mortgage. When you're 50 or 55, then you can worry about it. But right now, I'd rather that extra money be going into investments. How big a mortgage is it? Uh, the mortgage was how, 100 and how much? The uh, mortgage was 150. It's down to 100. $100,000 home uh, mortgage. And what's the home worth? 180. No, as a matter of fact, I might consider refinancing, getting more of that equity out of there into the into the market. Uh. Yeah, no, you're hurting yourself. You're uh, you are killing yourself from at age thirty. If you were age fifty-five, I'd agree with you. But uh, that's now in your selection. I'd also get out of those individual stocks. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd go into mutual funds, but I wouldn't attempt to do any of these moves without meeting with a fee-based certified financial planner first. Okay. Uh, there are several things that you could do, but the wonderful thing you have in your favor is you've got over twenty years, maybe thirty years of working years to compound. And so you could accumulate uh, very easily in the uh, in the in at least more than a million or a couple million dollars over your lifetime without a problem. I haven't uh, got a computer in front of me, but right. you have years to to accumulate, and you want to get it all working for you. Well, now would you take those additional payments that we're putting into the house, and should those payments go into that fund? Right. Well, they should go into a portfolio of funds according to an asset allocation pattern that should be constructed with the help of a planner 
You've got 90000 a year income. Do you have any children? Uh, just a brand new one. Brand new one. Congratulations. Well, congratulations, well, Papa. Uh, <laughs> we ought to take a look at analyzing your living expenses, if you haven't done that yet, and then find out what the surplus is monthly. Okay. And that surplus monthly should be going also into a mutual fund on what we call a pay-yourself-first plan. Okay. Uh, that's that's the way I think I would approach it. I would I, I would go ahead and take a look at your living expenses, break them down into categories by taking a look at the last three months of your checkbook, mm-hmm. and then call to set up a meeting with a certified financial planner. You could call my firm if you choose to or, send, or another firm in town, but you do want to go ahead and meet with an advisor to see how to put it all together so you get the best bang for your for your buck. Sounds great. Okay, yeah, and if you'd like to call the office, Charles, uh-huh. that number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's US Yes, sir. USA seven thousand. Sounds great. I appreciate your help. All right. Thanks so much for calling. You uh-huh. take care. Bye bye. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis, and we're enjoying our callers today. So if you've got a question, call us on the open lines at eight six zero nine seven eight three. Out of towners, it is toll free at one eight hundred six six two seven nine seven nine. For cellular callers, it is star six eighty. Doug, Deborah, I I thought that was great how you um. You discussed that in lieu of paying down his mortgage, you know, 10000 a year, that he invest it. Because, you know, some folks get confused by pay down your debt, be debt free. But you really have to look at the big picture, don't you? You have to. You have to see that the ultimate goal is to have a position of financial independence. You want to have enough investment wealth accumulated, what I call chickens, enough chickens accumulated to produce enough eggs to live on without killing your chickens. You want an investment portfolio big enough to go ahead and support your desired lifestyle without depleting your portfolio. And that means that the maximum that you can be adding to it during your earning years. Right. The goal isn't to go ahead. Ultimately, yes, one day you'll be debt free. One day the mortgage will be paid off and so forth. But right now we want to be accumulating. Yes. And that's really the blending of all these factors. It's not that one is more important than the other. We never look at the, the, uh, the situation so simplistically. So while you might be looking at investment planning and uh, how it affects your tax planning so that you can accumulate for financial independence. And within that becomes the conversation of, and which debts at what pace should I be l- looking at to get rid of at what time? I mean, it, it, it just says the story over and over again. None of these things exist independent of the other. That's right. That was, we said earlier, what's wrong with robo advisors? You need a real person. And that's what we do in our office, with you, face-to-face, in every appointment, we give you specific advice about each one of your financial areas. All right. Well, Doug, Linda, what's new in the world of retirement planning? Well, Doug um, and Deborah, there was a very interesting article in Investment Advisor about the post 70 and a half retirement plan contribution rules. And in some cases, clients can continue contributing to their retirement plans while they're taking their RMDs. So by the time many people reach age 70 and a half, they're ready to enjoy retirement 
and are well aware of the obligation that they will need to begin taking their required minimum distributions, otherwise known as the RMDs, from their various retirement accounts. Yeah, there are a variety of reasons why a person may wish to continue contributing to retirement accounts past that age when the RMDs begin. Perhaps the person is still working and trying either to reduce taxable income or make up for missed contributions during earlier working years. Yeah, the rules for post-70 and a half IRA contributions depend upon whether the account is a traditional IRA, a Roth IRA, or a SEP IRA. And direct contributions to a traditional IRA are not permitted after the person reaches age 70 and a half. However, SEP IRAs are different. SEP IRA contributions are permitted after the person reaches age 70 and a half. These contributions are limited to 25% of the client's compensation. And the client then may be actually making contributions to his SEP IRA and taking RMDs out of his IRA at the same time. Now, yeah. if you're still working after age 70 and a half, you may be contributing to, but well, let me say this, that only is true if you're self-employed. If you're working for an employer, you can't, but let's say that you've term, you've retired and now you're self-employed. Correct. Mm-hmm. And, all right. You've got contract income coming in from now you're eligible for a SEP IRA. And so you can go ahead and be contributing to a SEP IRA and getting your deduction and at the same time taking your RMDs. If you're still working after age 70 and a half, you may continue contributing to employer sponsored 401k accounts and SEP IRAs. Employers must continue to make employer contributions to the SEP IRA of an employee who is over 70 and a half if it's still making similar contributions to younger employee accounts. So you can't not contribute to your employees. Right. If you plan to work past age 70 and a half, you can avoid RMDs if you leave your money in a 401k account. As long as the client continues to work for the same employer that sponsors that plan and doesn't own 5% or more of the company, then he or she can avoid taking distributions from the 401k. But the rules are fun to work with because you got to be careful. If you miss that RMD, you remember how big the penalty is. 50%. 50%. Big ticket item. Uh, but that doesn't say you can't keep contributing also. <laughs> So there's a lot to be considered in the world of investments into retirement accounts that's going to bleed right over to questions about your taxes. So if these have been things to prompt you to make a list, write down those questions tonight. Give us a call during the week. We're at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. My father, Doug Lewis, is a certified financial planner. I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, and this is what we've been doing for the last 34 years. This is how we spend our week, and we enjoy coming here on Sunday nights to be an open forum for you to ask any of your questions, and hopefully some of these topics have prompted you to make a list. And we want to remind our listeners that now we are on the air at 6 p.m. on Saturdays as well. So listen to us on Saturday at 6 and on Sunday at 6. 
And I just want to say to all of our listeners, if you've done your tax, you you know, if you've already filed your tax return for 2016, you can do a happy dance. (laughs) (laughs) You're qualified. You can do it. (laughs) And if not, yours is coming as soon as you turn them in. (laughs) Well, y'all, we've been talking about so many um, areas of financial planning. What's new in the world of retirement planning? What else is new? Well, there are these things called target date funds, and they're hugely popular. And I think a big part of that popularity is because they are often the default investment choice in 401k plans. And really what that means is that sometimes your money is automatically directed to them unless you elect otherwise. Matter of fact, half of all 401k plan participants had some money in them by at the end of 2004 when a study was done. Yeah, In a target date fund, professional money managers make the decisions about how much of your portfolio should be devoted to stocks, bonds, or other assets, and which funds to buy. And then every year, the pros adjust the holdings to make the portfolio more conservative as you age. Each fund family follows its own so-called glide path for its series of target date funds, changing the mix in stocks and bonds over time. After these funds hit their target year, some continue to adjust the stock bond mix, typically for another 10 or 20 years, while others stop shifting entirely. And this is the difference between a target date series that shifts through retirement and a series that shifts to retirement. And, you know, that's pretty interesting. I bet most people don't know that the target date funds are designed, some of them, to end as if you were retiring at that date, and some aren't. Because most target dates follow a through retirement glide path, and the big ones hold about 73% of all target date fund assets. Now, if you're invested in a series with a to retirement glide path that ends at retirement, you should take a careful look at how the portfolio is split between stocks and bonds and see if it matches your need for your return and your risk level. Yeah, you need to remember that you're a different investor today when you're retired than you were in your 30s or even your 40s or 50s. So they're not the right vehicle for every person at every stage of their life. And I would also let our listeners know that if you have a financial planner like ourselves, we generally don't want you in target date funds at all. They're fine for people that don't have a financial planner. Someone who can help customize uh, a real way to get individual advice on how to get to retirement and how to get through retirement. That's right. Well, I hear the music approaching, so I want to go ahead and give a little wrap-up, letting everybody know we appreciate all the calls and the listeners tonight. We have covered tax planning questions, six tips from a person who accumulated a million dollars by age 30, power of attorney, estate questions tonight, different fee structures, and target date funds. We want to invite all of our listeners to join us next Saturday and Sunday at 6 p.m. on WPTF. And don't forget, you can also go to Money Matters available on demand to listen to our podcast at WPTF.com. Just click host, click Money Matters, then listen to us on demand. And remember, your money matters because your financial future is at stake. 
You've been listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with the Lewis family on News Radio 680 WPTF.